Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tours from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In episode 30 of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the chance to talk with Dan Hurd, a Navy veteran from the United States that is cycling 25,000 miles around the lower 48 in the USA. Having now been on the road for two years and having cycled 15,000 miles, he's well on his way to achieving his goal. Dan's story is extraordinary, but it doesn't come without a cost. For Dan, cycling was exactly the therapy he needed. Without it, he might not be here with us. He did this one pedal at a time. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. I'm really glad. Actually, this is a very exciting interview to do for me because when I when I first read your story, it, was, it had a special place in my heart. So let's start with having you tell us all about yourself. And, and I realized that this story is probably a little darker than most people's. So just share with us what you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, so I'll keep it, uh, I'll definitely keep it less dark for everybody, but so everybody kind of knows. Uh, for me personally, I dealt with uh, childhood traumas. I dealt with a lot of drug issues, dealt with financial struggles and PTSD from the military and also from childhood. So for me, uh, I dealt with those things, dealt with them really poorly and uh, uh, ultimately ended up trying to commit suicide three times in my life. And I was playing on a fourth when a friend got me on a bicycle. And, uh, it's crazy because I rode motorcycles before this. And I told myself I was above cycling that if I had a motor, why would I go down and ride a pedal bike? Yeah. And, uh, for many years, my friend tried and it became a running joke to go ride bikes together. And it's it got to a point where it just wasn't realistic. And uh, one day after my third suicide attempt, he told me that he was taking me riding, that I didn't really have a choice. And uh, unfortunately, I saw that he wanted to spend time with me. So I took that as an opportunity to spend time with him. But also, I thought that I could potentially find a place to try my fourth attempt. Mm. So I, I, unfortunately, I had alternative reasons. But ultimately, uh, it saved my life. It, uh, that fourth attempt faded away. And eight months later, I left on a bicycle journey of my lifetime. Of my life, it was crazy. It's great. So you, um, you, you went cycling twenty miles, and then what happened after that? Yeah, so we went twenty miles. You know, it didn't change much for me, but it was great. And then two days later, we went thirty miles. You know, it came gave me that like, wow, I could do this. 
but I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, on the following weekend, we went and rode 166 miles in the course of that weekend. And, wow. uh, and that, and that ride is what actually changed my outlook. It, it wasn't like immediately like a light switch changed my outlook on life, but it was the starting point. And the reason why for that was I would have given up a long time before we got back home. Yeah. I probably would have taken a ride home if I could have, but my friend didn't want to do that. And anybody that's ever served in the military or any, in any military or any type of service knows that. You know, you just can't leave somebody that you started something with behind and, and hope that they finish it by themselves. Yep. Like, so, you know, that's what I did. I told him, I was like, listen, man, I'll keep going with you. Two of the other guys that we were with left. And I was like, I'm not going to leave you behind. So you just got to go a little slower for me. He did. And uh, halfway through the way back, we were at like, it was like 120 miles and I was struggling. He pulls over and we start to take a break. And he's like, listen, man, it's one pedal at a time. It's just left, right, left, right. Just keep that in mind. So I literally started doing cadence in my head the last about 40 miles. Okay. And uh, before I knew it, we were home and that, that really helped me out a lot. And what it really made me realize future wise is I needed to focus on the moment and in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so worried about what I had already done, the 120 something miles. And I was so worried about the 40 something miles I had left that I wasn't just living now. And him telling me that one pedal at a time kind of, triggered that and mm-hmm. and it started this barrel roll effect of a snowball effect for me and so what I did was I decided I wanted to visit as many people as I served with in the military at the time it was 32 states to get to them oh wow nice uh, I had to I had I had to go to 42 states to get to these 32 states oh, okay got it so I decided I might as well do the other six after a few people suggested it and I really decided to do it honestly but I did it and uh, and then what I did was the 25,000 miles uh, unfortunately, here in the United States, we have 22 a day. Um, I don't know if you had heard that number or not. But no, what does that mean? For 22 veterans a day that commit suicide. Oh, yes, I have heard something about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so originally when I decided to do this journey, I wanted to get that number in there since that's you know something that's near to me. And 25,000 mm-hmm. miles in three years was my original goal and plan, and that was uh, to hit just over 22 miles a day. Ah, okay. Unfortunately, I won't hit that number in three years, but that's okay. Also showing people that plans change because I am riding for suicide prevention and suicide awareness. So I want to show people that it's okay to have a, an ultimate plan. Plans can change and you can still get your goals. Mm-hmm. How did you go from doing that ride? You went out to Cape Cod, right? If I remember what I read correctly. Yeah. So I went from, uh, so I, I grew up about nine miles away from uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts okay. in, a, in a smaller town called Carver. And we rode right from where we lived in Plimpton at the time, actually right next door to Carver and, and rode uh, at like eight o'clock at night. We had just got off work and got on our bikes and rode all night to Cape Cod. And we crossed the big bridge that we have over there for the Cape Cod Canal. And mm-hmm. yeah, just kept going. And they kept, they actually had to keep waking me up. I kept falling asleep while I was riding. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. And how did you, um, how did you progress from this idea of, you know, well, you did this massive weekend of riding, but then eight months later, how were you on a bike all of a sudden cycling around? the u.s well so uh things happen for a reason i definitely believe that nowadays yeah. it wasn't until so september or august that was um i, I was going to therapy obviously because my attempt and uh so they were keeping an eye on me and i was talking to my therapist about my time in the military and he had suggested that maybe i needed to go visit some of them oh, okay he did not mean on a bicycle yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, two days later, the buddy that had got me on a bicycle, at this point, I had bought my own bicycle. And uh, 
he said, man, when I was your age, I wanted to ride my bike across the country. And it was like light bulbs went off in my head. That's why I ultimately decided to go visit oh, everybody. Oh, wow. Amazing how things work out, huh? It's amazing. So then like, I think it was like two weeks later, me and my buddy, it was actually, it was Labor Day weekend here in the U.S. And uh, we had a three-day weekend. Yeah. So we decided to pack up and we rode from Massachusetts to New Hampshire to go visit my uh, sister and my mom. And um, we rode 96 miles up there. And on the way home, we rode 124. So that was my first century. That's when I realized I could do this mm-hmm. or at least had it in my head that I could at least potentially do this. I had a lot of doubts when I first started this to even think I could actually finish, but I set my goals. And you did that in a weekend, that 90 and 120? Yep. We did that on nice. a Friday morning or a Saturday morning. And then on Monday we rode back. Oh, wild. That's amazing. And it was on road bikes that were ghetto rigged with a, a metal plate on the back of it. So it was very top heavy. Yeah. It was not set up for like riding like that, but we made it work. Nice. And what does your buddy think of the fact that you're now 15,000 miles into this trip and uh, that he had a little impact on you? Well, he, uh, he doesn't like to take credit for it. He says all I did, all he did was give me the tool and I took that tool and I went with it. Yeah. Which, and ultimately he's right, but he gave me the my whole nonprofit, my whole slogan is one pedal at a time. It's one pedal at a time movement. And, uh, you know, that's literally how I still live day to day anytime i start to struggle i just remember it's one pedal at a time i'm just gonna get as far as i can yeah it's a beautiful phrase it really is and you know it's just something that kind of remind yourself and it doesn't even have to be pedal change that word to anything you know one breath whatever mm-hmm. but no he's uh he's honored to to know that i'm doing this and, and thankful for it he actually just visit he just visited me uh, at the beginning of the year um, in Dallas, he drove 2,000 miles in his truck to come visit me for one day. Oh, man. So it was great to see him again, and hopefully it won't be uh, a year and a half until I see him again. What is your feeling when you're on the bike? Like, what is it that makes you appreciate life so much more? Well, there's a, there's a lot of different reasons for it. One, I'm in the best shape of my life. I've actually lost about 100 pounds wow. since my last suicide attempt. So physically, I'm in the best shape. Mentally, it also uh, does pretty well nowadays. But the cycling, it's more just the the personal achievement. Like, I can't walk. If I walk, it's not very far. Typically, it's 8 to 10 miles. I was very fortunate last weekend. I did 22. So, uh, and that was pushing myself. But, you know, I like that I can go further. I can... Mm -hmm carry a lot more weight my bike weighs 175 pounds with all my gear on yeah we're going to talk about that soon (laughs) okay so we'll talk about that but uh it's that satisfaction that i get of just being able to see nature and see things at a slower pace and Mm -hmm. i get to be in my own thoughts and and i get to think about other people and you know Mm -hmm. putting my thoughts into those people that i want to uh give that good energy to and and then you know just just taking it as it comes and it's it's the best way to go with the flow without rolling down a river. Yeah, that's amazing. That's good. Um, I was just recording a, yesterday, actually, an interview with my buddy who is I was on, I'm gonna I'm on his podcast, and uh, he was asking me like, what do I like about biking? Like, what is it that made me become so obsessed with biking? And I was like, man, like when you're on that bike and you're focusing on your legs just going round and round, that's my mantra. You know, like that's the way I'm just. I'm focusing on life and I'm getting rid of all the bad and I'm just like, I got one thing going on steady. So when I saw your one pedal at a time, I'm like, yeah, man, that's, that's what I'm doing when I'm riding my bike. It's just one pedal at a time. Just keep it going, you know? Exactly. And it's, 
It really is. It's just, it's amazing how like, you know, you get into that repetitive motion and, and you just want to get going and, and just cranking it that yeah. one crank at a time. It's, you get into that sink and what's crazy. I actually have a, one of those wristwatches that does all the heartbeats and stuff. And, yeah. Um, I rode a most motorcycle this past summer. Uh, somebody that hosted me let me ride their motorcycle and my heart rate is the same on a bicycle as it is on a motorcycle, but I'm not burning calories on the motorcycle. Yeah. And I'm not getting my endorphins and all that other stuff going. So like, it's just a different type of uh, therapy. But for me, you know, I love, I still love motorcycles. I still love that wind therapy. And, but for whatever reason, this mechanical therapy that I get from a bicycle and it just does it all the overall for me, it, it replaced so much of that need for, like medications and stuff. Yeah. What's your bike of choice? Uh, so I I actually like, uh, I had a good R1, a Yamaha. Oh yeah, nice. Um, and then I actually had a Harley as well. Oh, okay, both best of both worlds. Yeah, um, at different times. I started out with the street bikes and went to the Harleys. I grew up on dirt bikes and mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of graduated as I went. And then I, you, you crash enough street bikes, you decide you're gonna get to a cruiser so you're not and you're not getting younger, so you got to kind of chill out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What made you? Uh, what made you decide to join the military or the Navy? Uh, so it was something that I always had in my mind that I wanted to do. Uh, unfortunately, when I decided to actually do it, it was for the wrong reasons. My first suicide attempt was before I joined. Uh, it was never recorded, mm-hmm. so um, it didn't hinder my ability to join. But ultimately, my goal was to serve, and if I died, I died. And unfortunately, I wasn't allowed into the certain branches that I wanted to get into. And uh, the Navy worked out the best for me because one, I was safer. And two, I uh, I didn't really think about suicide or depression as much while oh, okay. I was in service. So my time in the military was, as crazy as it is, it was my best years and some of my toughest years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's in the military knows how tough it can be, but like the camaraderie and, and just the... Uh, overcoming these challenges and stuff is just such a such a big impact on your life yeah exactly and, and just having that you know that camaraderie the family that you have it's you know when you get out of the military of any type or again any type of that service where that where you rely on people to keep you alive and set vice versa you know when you when you leave that it's it's a whole different idea yeah. of how to survive yeah the one way i was lucky is i was a reservist so i was a reservist in Ottawa and, you know, by default, most of the people that I was served with were in Ottawa. So I still run across buddies from 15 years ago and we hang out and stuff and yeah, they're all just ex army buddies. So that, that community is still there. Not as strong, but it's still there. Yeah. And it's one, it's one of those things that is at any point you guys ever kind of reconnect, it's like you pick up where you left off. Oh yeah. Um, what kind of bike are you using for this tour? So I'm using a, it's called a VSF. Okay. It's a TX 400. It's a German made bicycle. And as far as I know, I'm the only American that owns one of these. Yeah. I'm about to Google it. VSF, VSF 400. TX 400. TX 400. And it's an exhibition bicycle. It's made to go literally around the world. Okay. Um, but it's designed to hold about 400 pounds of 400 pounds on it. Oh, okay. Uh, That's good to I know. I think it's 385 or 395, mm-hmm. but I know it can hold 400 because I was heavier when I started and my bike was heavier than it is now. Okay. And my bike weighs about, 
my with me and the bike and the gear now it's about 350. Um, so let's talk about your luggage setup. You said it's 175 pounds. What are you carrying or what are you not carrying? Maybe is the better answer question. I don't know. Well, I carry a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. Especially because originally when I started, I actually carried a lot more when I started. I don't carry as much uh, replacement gear, but I carry two sets of tires. Well, I carry one full set of tires. Mm-hmm. Um, I carry four tubes. I got a couple pairs of cycling clothes, a couple pairs of casual clothes from when I'm on the bike. I also carry winter gear because I do go into like all year round. So yeah. unfortunately, I have got caught in snow only once this year, but I've been caught in the snow about two weeks worth of this whole trip, which isn't that bad, but yeah. Cause I saw your route and I think I'm assuming you had it kind of designed so that you're kind of down South when it's winter and then you're heading back up North and then you're coming down South the next winter. Yep, exactly. And that that's ultimately my goal, but this year I kind of fell behind a little bit. So I've been like getting like chased by the snow. Yeah. And uh, so it's caught me a couple of times and then I, get ahead of it and so far it hasn't snowed down here in three weeks okay that's good yeah oh it's been nice up here in canada too so it's it's been a good ending to this winter hopefully if there's no more big storms what uh what else do you carry in your bags i mean uh, i'm assuming you have a tent and all that stuff as well but you said it's 175 pounds so it's gotta be lots of stuff yeah so i carry uh some emergency food i literally call it emergency food because it's just that i don't carry daily food with me mm-hmm. um I carry a machete. Um, what else do I have? Rain gear, snow gear, toiletry stuff, medications in case I have any certain issues that I need. I have asthma, so I carry my okay. inhalers and stuff like that. What else do I have? I carry a book bag. I carry a backpack on my back all every day. I got some speakers. I got a, a flagpole that I built. Well, I got tools to fix the bike. Um, I don't know. It just kind of adds up. Yeah. It's all little tiny stuff. I I keep getting rid of stuff. People give me stuff. I kind of cycle through things. But even the bike empty weighs like 55 pounds, I think it is. Oh, that heavy, huh? Well, yeah, the bike with like, I won't take my tent off. So the front, I'll say the front handlebar bag and the tent. And okay. The bike itself. So yeah, it's still a pretty heavy bike. Most of it's, yeah, fluids. I carry a lot of fluids, I guess. What are... um three things in your bags that you just couldn't live without i hate to say it but i really couldn't live without my cell phone because it's like my whole way of training my whole message and i hate to say it that way because i don't like being self-reliant on this thing mm-hmm. but it is literally my access to communication of the world my tracker my everything so how i listen to podcasts on the road is how mm-hmm. i do all my important stuff you don't have a laptop with you or do you have one of those too I don't have a laptop. I did carry one for a little while, but I didn't use it enough because I can pretty much do everything on my cell phone nowadays. I'm actually even getting rid of my uh, my sports camera this week because I can take the same quality photos with my camera, my cell phone now. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just easier. I don't I don't really do the whole setup cameras and then ride back and then ride to the camera again. So I'm not that cool. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Maybe one day. Maybe if I actually decide to do a tour where I'm not carrying so much gear, yeah. I can easily do that. But I'm looking forward to losing some gear, especially when I get to Seattle. It's funny, though, because I did a tour and I did some of those ride-offs into the distance and then turn around and come back and get shots. And 
And I was only carrying about six kilos of gear. And I thought, man, that's a lot of work just to get a good camera shot. Like, <laughs> so I probably wouldn't do it if I had 175 pounds. Yeah. So, uh, what is that? Uh, is that, it's 175. Is all it's like 70, 80 kilos? Probably about 80 kilos. Okay. Yeah. My, I haven't, not that I like to brag about this, but I haven't seen anybody with a heavier bike in the United States than me yet. Mm-hmm. But no, I carry a sleeping bag, uh, a sleeping pad, a pillow, sweatpants for when it's really cold. So far, my coldest temperature, which I've been lucky, is about negative 15. Wow. That's not too, too bad. No, it's not bad. Only for one night, you know. Other times, the worst after than that is usually about 10 to 15 degrees. Mm-hmm. So you got your cell phone. What are your other two can't live without things? Uh, not including my bicycle? No. Okay. Because that couldn't live in without In the bags. That. In the bags. In the bags. Uh... Well, I guess it's legal in Canada. In Canada. I couldn't live without my cannabis bag inside of my bags. <laughs> there you uh, go. You know, and, and, and I don't know if that's even appropriate to say, but I, I, it is helpful to me. And uh, where cycling takes a lot of that need to smoke as much or consume it. Mm-hmm. But um, when I'm not on the bike, that really helps me a lot, especially when I'm stopped in, in stationary positions. Yeah. So I definitely... Uh, definitely like having that and keeping that with me. And then the third thing I guess would have to be my wallet because it's got everything to my life in it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Good stuff. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump forward a bit. I want to talk about the movement. So the one pedal at a time movement, what exactly yeah. is it and what's its goal? Well, so it really, so what happened with that was, uh, my initial idea was never to start a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. People have suggested it when I decided to start talking more about my story and about the idea that I'm doing this for suicide awareness. When I started this journey, I didn't talk about it. So um, the more people I interacted with and the more people I got comfortable talking to, the more I realized that there was a lot of people out there that are struggling on their own and, and you know, not really living in the moment. And some of these people that I would cross paths with would – uh, be inspired to get on a bicycle or, you know, just even if they weren't suicidal or in depression states, people that were like, you know, I know people, so I'm going to be more inspired to look for that. Yeah. Just from talking. And, you know, that's, that's what I keep doing what I'm doing is because I want more people to see it. And, uh, somebody kept suggesting it and suggesting it. And then finally, when I was in Mobile, Alabama last year, uh, a great family, a Cardin family, you know, had some work at their house to get done and, I could do it, so I did it, and they paid for me to start my nonprofit. It w- wouldn't have been able to be done otherwise. No but, way. Yeah, and that's what's cool about this entire journey is my whole journey. I'm doing it with no savings. I'm doing it with no savings to show people we can survive, and that there's still good people in this world that are willing to help people. Um, and that's probably why I didn't name that many things probably that other people would name in their bags that they would like mm-hmm. because. I could literally have just the bicycle and those three things and people would help me that I feel like. And not that I go looking for the help, but God's got a big plan for me to keep, you know, helping people. And I think that's why he keeps putting people in my life to continue that journey. And, and so I'm, that's just my mindset for, and that's why I, I don't know. But, um, what ultimately happened was this, this journey, I was starting to live by that one pedal at a time. Yeah. And I kept talking to people about that and, um, you know, for the suicide stigma to change, we have to be a movement and the, this movement has already started. 
but it's a bunch of individual organizations and individual people that are doing it and we're trying to do it individually and we're, we're slowly kind of doing it as a group but it takes a movement it takes all of us to be part of it to make a change happen mm-hmm. it's not just the unfortunately a lot of people believe that it's the people it's up to the people that are struggling to ask for help and you know that's part of it but it's up to the people that are part of those people's lives to also see the change that they're dealing with before they get to that point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's how we're going to change it. And so the organization itself is to connect people on bicycles. As I traveled and interacted with people, one on bicycles and stuff is I learned that a lot of people that do ride bicycles do also enjoy it because of that alternative therapy. Um, you know, they have a bad day. They get on their bike there. They're having a great day. All the time. That's that's my thing too. Yeah, you know it doesn't matter. Like I've I've met so many people that are like, man, I just wanted to, you know, I just had a horrible day. I drove home. I literally didn't even want to talk to my family. I got on my bicycle. I rode twenty miles. I got back and kissed my wife and I said I had a great day. Sorry, I didn't talk to you tw- uh, two hours ago. Whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's something about this this thing, this tool that we have that unfortunately so many people, including myself, give up when we get our license, when mm-hmm. we get that ability to drive a vehicle, you know, we look forward to that so much. We forget the thing that brought us that freedom that we have. Yeah. And, um, so the one pedal at a time movements, ultimate goal is to promote bicycling while raising suicide awareness. So ultimately we want to get people on bicycles and then ultimately use this as an alternative therapy for people that are struggling with depression, anything that deals with ultimately the effect of suicide. You know, that doesn't have to just deal with depression. Not just depressed people commit suicide. And mm-hmm. um, not everybody that's depressed will try suicide. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's something to also keep in mind. But this is a great tool for people that are in any walk of life. And there's so many different types of bicycles that literally uh, you can ride a bicycle in most cases one way or another. Like I know a lot of people don't want to ride the typical triangle frame bicycle because of hip issues or lower back issues, mm-hmm. but that's why they have recumbents yeah, exactly. and they have all these different types. They have low, the low riders, they got the high riders, they got the two wheelers, the trikes, uh, yeah. they got, the, yeah, they got so many different uh, options for bicycles nowadays. Mm-hmm. There's, there's almost really very few reasons not to be able to get on a bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even more of a reason now is with the e-bikes. So even if it's the, you, you can't go more than 10 miles, but you want to keep up with everybody that does 20, you have that e-assist now to keep you going. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I think the, uh, just, the one pedal at a time movement, I think was a, it's a great, great, great first step, like to make this nonprofit, because I think you have a, a phenomenal story and without having this nonprofit to attach to it, it's just, you're a guy riding a bike, but it has doesn't have as much significance to people. So like, it's easier for you now to share this story with media because they go, Oh, it's a nonprofit. Let's, and then they get the story and then, then they get the wow factor. And, and I think that's how it spreads the word too. Right. It does. And that's, that's a huge reason why I was encouraged to start it. And as much as I fought against it at first, uh, ultimately I decided that this was what I was supposed to be doing. Enough people told me to do it that, uh, that I needed to do it. And, I'm glad I have, and unfortunately, you know, it's still in the early stages. I literally just started a year ago. I've had my 501c3 status for less than a year now, so it's all still in the work progress. It's right now we're in the ultimate stages of raising money to help other organizations. 
mm-hmm. while we grow ours. And by the time I'm done cycling, I hope to have programs made for people to come out and do like weekend warrior rides, you know, for whatever amount of miles that we can figure out and depending on the area that we're in. And yeah, just to get them on the bike, mm-hmm. get them on the bike. And you know, the people that have never rode bicycles, ultimately my goal is to have funding to be able to get the proper bicycles for those people and, and get them out there to encourage them to see that this is a good alternative. And unfortunately it's not for everybody. Like I said, so my goal also is to, I'm riding around the country. I meet these organizations that have alternative things like, you know, um, wind therapy was one and, and psych, other cycling groups and these other things are, are rowing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm gathering these information. So if it's not, if they don't want to do cycling, I hope to have the information so that they can go try other things so that I'm not saying, well, if it's not cycling, I can't help you. Yeah, I exactly. Help as many people. Yeah. That's one pedal at a time is just the start of it. Ultimately, I would love to have this grow into different, you know, I would love to have people that have struggled uh, with depression or anything or suicidal tendencies. And, you know, they found hiking to work for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's go, let's get these people that may be interested in hiking and you could be the instructor for it. whatever we can do to make it one educational and two get them to experience something new. Yeah. If you're not into pedaling, but you love to paddle, it could be one paddle at a time, whatever it is. Find that thing. If it's painting, it's one stroke at a time. Yeah. You know? I love Whatever it. it is, you know, it, that's what it is about is it's finding the activity that's right for you. And unfortunately, sometimes you could try a hundred activities before you find it, but never give up trying to find mm-hmm. that activity that's right for you. And, uh, I call my, it's bicycling for me. It's my Zen activity. It does something that no, no other activity I can do does for me. So it is my Zen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what I think everybody needs to find is that one activity and, and for me, for a long time, I thought cycle, uh, motorcycles was that for me. And so I was stubborn. And unfortunately, a lot of people are like that. We find that one thing that mostly works, but there's something out there that could be better. So be willing to try things. Even you don't have to give up your dreams. You don't have to give up the activities that you enjoy, but go out and try some new stuff. What has been the response from people as you've gone around the U.S.? A lot more good than bad. Uh, you know, unfortunately... There's people that just don't understand it, and you know I try to keep it positive and try to express things. But uh, overall, it's a great experience. People surprisingly took to it as take to it pretty well. The more I've traveled through the country, the more uh, speeches I've done. Like I just did one, mm-hmm. my first speech for the military. I haven't done one yet until last week, and I spoke to about 500 uh, active duty members. Oh wow! And and uh, that's about twice the size of my biggest speech till that one. Um, so it's grown a lot faster. A lot more people are interested in hearing about it. Uh, you know, people like to have that connection to something. And mm-hmm. and that's what I want to prove to people is it's okay to talk about it. And, and that's why I'm so try to be comfortable with it. And, and that's so, um, I don't know, I try to be transparent with what, what mm-hmm. I talk about so that people feel like they actually are really getting to know me because that's ultimately what I'm trying to do. And, I ultimately want them to feel comfortable listening to my story so they're comfortable listening to somebody else's and also that the people that are struggling are comfortable to be like, you know, Dan did it in front of 500 people. I think I can talk to one or two people. Right. And yeah. that's all I hope, you know, I don't want them to think that I'm better than them or anything like that because I'm no better than anybody else. But <laughs> like, I just hope that they see this as an opportunity to be like, I can do this. You know, what's really, really good at that. What you just said though, is I, what I see is, 
the the change that the military is recognizing that there is an issue in the aftermath of service on a, in a lot of situations, and they're saying, well, let's let's get somebody in to talk and like to share their their experiences and what they went through, and and then maybe people will recognize when they need help and get help before it's too late, you know. So, I think that's it's a really big step in terms of a military organization to to take that. No, it's uh, it's definitely gotten a lot better over the years, and it's actually amazing because this week uh, I'm doing a, a suicide prevention and intervention training course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Assist A S I S T, and it's from an organization called Living Works. And I want to say they're based out of Canada, but I may be wrong on okay. that. But they uh, they do training on how to do a proper interventions, and they do it worldwide. Uh, they have courses throughout the year, so it's it's something that it's definitely recommended to everybody to do, even if they've never dealt with suicide. You never know anybody you can know anybody that we know can go through it. And so it's good to have just the proper knowledge and mm-hmm. education to be able to save a life or you know be part of something in your community. So um, it's it's a great organization and it's great because I actually support this organization through my nonprofit. They're one of four organizations that I support and it's crazy because I've supported this organization, but I've never been able to take their course until this week and I'm doing it with the military. Oh, very cool. The, mil- the military does this course very regularly and they're, they encourage and even sometimes we make it mandatory for people to go take this course. So people are getting this training and um, you know, that's, that's a good thing because the more military that gets it, hopefully this will reduce the numbers mm-hmm. and also, you know, encourage people to be part of the change. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that I get to join them this week in that. What have, uh, what have been some of the positive outcomes from the movement? There's been a lot. Uh, so numbers wise, you know, I've had almost 60 people that haven't committed suicide because of this journey. That's phenomenal. Um, and 11 of those people were crossing paths with them in person on their way to commit suicide. So, um, again, th- that's why this training is so important is I never took the official training for it, but I unofficially knew the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be able to get the certification this week, well, is it really going to be that much better and can give me that much more, uh, tools to, you know, to help save lives and to keep people, uh, in safe spots. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing for me and I'm thankful to be able to do it. Can you, can you, I mean, without obviously names or anything can you share an example of somebody like how did you come across meeting somebody as they were on their way to go commit suicide well so uh, i like to talk about the first one and Mm -hmm. uh this woman i was in new hampshire actually and it was early in my travel so at that point i was still trying to get people to pay attention to me i was focused on me Mm -hmm. but uh this i crossed over a bridge and this woman was walking down the road about a half mile after i crossed the bridge and uh, she acknowledged me, so I turned around and said hello to her and gave her my card and said, I'm bicycling all 48 states for suicide awareness. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. I was like, yeah, but I got to go because I have a destination to get to. I was so, fo- like I said, I was very yeah. focused on me. You know, I didn't I didn't put two to two together, but it was a road that, you know, there wasn't really houses on, so there was really no reason for it to be out that far that I could really think about after the fact. But mm-hmm. About four days later, she messaged me uh, in an email saying that she was planning on jumping off that bridge, and um, she decided not to because I stopped and talked to her. And at that point, when I got that, uh, one, I thought she was messing with me. Oh wow! But 
two, it kind of made me realize about two weeks later that, you know, one, I just, I need to start saying hello to people. I need to acknowledge somebody that exists. You know, mm-hmm. they, we need to, we need that acknowledgement every once in a while. And unfortunately, I think if I just rode by that woman, I don't think she would have made it. And uh, so as much as I was being selfish and from my own acknowledgement, I'm glad that it helped her. So, it, you know, it's uh, it was a crazy experience. Mm-hmm. But another one I had is uh, I had a gentleman that was, this was actually most my most um, intense one. I had a gentleman that was unfortunately planning on hanging himself. And um, I met him on the road on bicycles, and he was going to hang himself in the woods. And I ended up following him to where he was going, and I talked to him for about an hour and a half. Unfortunately, about an hour and 20 minutes into it, I had nothing left to say to him that I could humanly say. And mm-hmm. um, it was actually a turning point in my life as well. But I literally almost subconsciously prayed at this point, and I didn't know what else to say. And for whatever reason, it was, hey, man, God's got a plan for us. You know, he already has our days picked out. And uh, you got you just got to enjoy it while you have it. Very simplified version. But that, that clicked to him. And... Um, I'm thankful for it, and we ended up getting him and the help that he needed, and it was just one of those times where I don't know where that came from when I mm-hmm. talked about that. So two days later, I uh, I accepted Christ into my life. So wow. Um. So yeah, it's, it's really uh, deep. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, and it's even worse. Is so as amazing as that was. The same day, about an hour before that. Um, I had a guy, I was in a, a rougher neighborhood, but uh, a guy came up and was pulling a gun on me. And thankfully nothing happened because a cop pulled on the street as the guy was doing it. So he took off, but he literally had the gun about six feet away from my face and um, was ready to shoot. So I'm thankful that didn't happen, but it gave me the ener- the adrenaline rush that I needed to catch yeah. up to the guy on the bicycle, which was on his way to go hang himself. That's so, wild. Cause you know, that, that happens and like, Maybe a year before you would have been like, whatever, shoot. And then now you're thinking like, oh, I'm not ready yet. And like, Yeah. So before that, uh, well, before this journey, I never feared death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I Honestly, in a way, I guess I embraced it. Um, it wasn't until this journey where, for probably the first time in my entire actual life that I've, I've wanted to live and I feared dying because it's finally out of my control or potentially out of my control. And unfortunately I've had four hit and runs on this journey. No way. huh? Yeah. But luckily all of them were in the first year. (laughs) Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the bike tour adventures sponsors. Bike tour adventures is proudly sponsored by redshift sports founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists. They've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. 
Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magnin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Wow. Um, I have a, actually quite, an, quite a story, too. When I was teaching in Sweden, I had a student who was, uh, who was into self-cutting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like self-harm. So, I mean, that's always the first step, right? And um, at one point, things just seemed to go worse and worse in her life. And like I had actually built a trust with her. And she called because in Sweden, it was very easy for people to have anybody's phone number. Every every number was easy access. So, um, I'd have students call me to tell me, don't forget to watch Eurovision. And uh, she called me to say goodbye. And, uh, really? we, yeah, we got to talking and I was, you know, trying to convince her not to do it and to, you know, telling her how, you know, school is shitty, but like things get better. Like it's, you got to go through these hard moments of school life to get the better parts of life later. And then ultimately she told me she'd taken a bottle. So, of pills. So I, I kind of managed to message the count school counselor at the same time and said, Hey, this is what just happened. And, and they intervened and saved her life. And then about a year later, she messaged me and said, you know, thank you so much. I'm now one of the top students in my school and I've changed schools and I'm doing better and this and that. And I live with a, um, a, what she call it? A sponsor family. What, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she lives with another family and this and that. And yeah, it was really, really amazing. Just uh, one of those. So, I mean, imagine how you feel after doing this 11 times. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely it's it, like I said, it's uh, it's very humbling, and uh, like I said, it's the fact that I started this journey for my own well-being, and I didn't really care about anybody else, as selfish as that sounds. But I had to take care. I had to focus on me to be able to get mm-hmm. to where I am now to help as yeah. many as I am able to. And so, like I said, I, about sixty people almost that uh, that haven't committed suicide because of this journey. I've unfortunately lost four friends since I've been on this journey to suicide, which totals my number to 35 people that I've known in my lifetime that I've now committed suicide. Or, uh, wow, uh, that many, huh? It's unfortunate. Uh, a lot of people, and, and unfortunately, even still, it still happens. So it's uh, it's been a tough two years with the, the four people that I've <laughs> lost since uh, leaving. But... That's what I keep trying to do is, is just keep going it forward and, you know, pushing to try to help save other people's lives and and hope that I can stop what's happening. And obviously I can't do that alone. It takes all of us in the mm-hmm. movement. So. Wow. It's pretty, uh, I mean, I can't imagine knowing 35 people myself. Like just, I, I can't imagine the concept that I would know 35 people that commit suicide. Very, very big number. Yeah. It's, um, it's a tough one. Um, and again, I hope that my number doesn't keep going up and mm-hmm. I, I hope the number overall, you know, keeps going down, but unfortunately it's, it's not doing that. And, uh, it's not just the United States problem. It's a world problem. Oh, big time. And, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately it's, it's just, it's devastating how, how, how bad it's come in the last 20 years over the last 50 years and how it's just continued to, constantly increase yeah and now it's unfortunate with as many countries and states as well for us at least also approving uh physician suicides assisted suicides yeah so that those those numbers are also being increased because they're considered suicide even if though it's assisted so 
uh, there are still statistics of the suicide rates. Yeah, I think Canada's recently... I've heard talk of it. I don't know what's the deal with it right now. I, I think it's going to become a thing. Like you're going to be able to do assisted suicide. Yeah, it's becoming a thing in a lot of places. And, and I think that, you know, it has its place for everything. Um, but I think it's not meant for just the, the average person that's mm-hmm. feeling or struggling at, in a moment because, you know, suicide's that permanent solution for a temporary problem. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's not always the case. Like for me, for instance, I thought I had no purpose left in this life. I didn't think that I was useful. I had no skills. I didn't think I should be living because I thought I was a burden to my friends and family. Mm -hmm. And less than a year later, I was leaving on this journey and, and found some purpose and found some reason to continue living. And, and since then it's grown even more Mm -hmm. every year it's, um, it's gotten better for me, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, dedication to self healing and and spreading healing as well, because it's got to be yin and yang for everything. Do you do a lot of prayer or any kind of um, meditation and stuff? That I actually I did more meditation before I ever did prayer. Okay. Um, I actually really enjoy the the thought of meditation and just that that Zen thought type thing, I guess. So for me, I, I enjoy it. I, I don't do it as much as I used to, uh, probably because I just get up and I start riding and I get off my bike and I set out like 10 and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's not as, uh, uh, as routine as it used to be, but I still get to do it as when I can. And uh, I probably should get more into the routine of it. But I, like I said, I get to it when I can. And I do enjoy being able to do both, being able to have that time to pray and, and and actually take that meditation and, mm-hmm. and get those answers that I'm looking for. Yeah, amazing. Do you have a financial goal or is like for the movement that you're trying to raise a certain amount or is it just kind of a take it where it goes? And um, So right now I don't have an actual goal set. Right now I have a Facebook fundraiser for mm-hmm. my birthday. I'm raising $2,000 for that. But other than that, which is going until April 10th, by the way, if uh, other than that, it's it's more of an open open number. I think mm-hmm. next year we'll probably set a number depending on how this year goes, and we're still in a lot of trial and error stuff, and just trying to get it so that we can be as effective as we possibly can be while reaching as many people as we can. Yeah, it'd be amazing to see that there's like enough could be fundraised to to create like offices where people could go in and like you know you'd have like bike tour guides or kayaking tour guides or whatever like people to get you out there and and just yes uh, alternative so, me- alternative medicine kind of thing you know and that would be awesome so ultimately though i'm my ultimate goal is because of uh um the whole online base of lifestyle nowadays I, my goal is to have everything based offline. So if they're, you know, in Massachusetts or anywhere in that region, you know, they can click on this through our site and get onto an event that's happening in their area. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, or, that makes sense. Um, but ultimately, I also have my goal. So September is Suicide Awareness Month, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the United States. I don't know if it's... I believe worldwide. it is here too, yeah, in Canada, at least. Okay, so, so for... That month, I do a. Last year was the first uh, first year of it. It, was, it didn't go as good as I hoped, but um, again, it was first year. And this year, we're trying to go, we're gonna have it so that 
the whole month of September, we're going to have people log their miles and digitally upload it to the system that we're going to use. And uh, ultimately, we're going to have it so that they can go raise money. Say we're going to they're going to ride 500 miles in the month of September. They can go raise X amount of money, and we're going to try to base uh, our year for that. And and then hopefully next year we'll be able to set goals. I love it. Sounds great. It sounds amazing. Let's talk about the bike tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, where did you start and what was kind of your general, I know your, your route zigzags a bit, but what's your general route across the U.S.? So I started in Massachusetts, uh, right at Plymouth Rock. And for those that don't know, that's in the east of the U.S. Right, uh, right at the armpit of, uh, of the Cape Cod of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So I started there. I went uh, around New England, so the six states, which is I went to Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Ham- Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Then I left back through those to my seventh state of New York. Okay. I kind of did a lot of zigzagging up and down and a little bit out, but ultimately I headed west, uh, south to Florida for the winter. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, went all the way down to the most southern point in the United States, which is Key West. And um, got to touch the buoy and rode back up the Gulf side of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the summer started coming back, I left Louisiana back up to Michigan. So did you spend part of the winters just in uh, in like New Orleans or something? Or? Uh, so I spent most of the winter in Mobile, Alabama uh, okay. with the family that helped me out with starting the nonprofit. Okay. Uh, I spent five weeks. I actually spent five weeks at their house and didn't look at my bicycle, not once in those five weeks. Nice. No, it actually was a bad idea. <laughs> That's actually a funny story and a horrible, painful story. Go for it. Um, but the, the gentleman that got me into the nonprofit, he had a road bicycles in about 15 years. Um, it was so inspired by what I was doing that he was like, dude, I'm going to ride with you from here to New Orleans. And he did, but uh, so him and a buddy of his, and now mine, but uh, all three of us got on the bikes, and uh, one of the guys got hit two miles into the start of the journey by a car. Um, luckily, he wasn't injured. The bike had a little damage, so we got it fixed and got on the road. We rode 15 miles, and I literally had a full body cramp happen to the point where I couldn't get <laughs> off my bicycle, and I crashed on the side of the road, yes. locked up. Like a T-Rex swarming on the like fish out of water. I've seen that at I've seen that at like really hot half Iron Man in Malaysia where somebody was trying to get off the bike and there was just like a collapse. <laughs> yeah. Well that's what happened to me. And then these two guys that one are riding with a guy that's been riding for over a year at this point are looking at me like, What do we do? The guy that's riding the country is on the ground dying. How are we gonna make it? <laughs> get the puffer. <laughs> 15 miles into it. <laughs> well, the worst would be if they couldn't pull the bike off you because it's too heavy and they're like, we can't even move this. It's like a gold wing. <laughs> yeah. No, the bags keep it pretty good so it doesn't really crush me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but either way, I, no, they were trying to help me. I was like, just leave me alone. I was, I was that angry guy that's just like, I have to do this on my own. <laughs> uh, but no, I ended up getting some pickle juice and we ended up riding, I think, 35 miles that day. Um, but we made it up the next day. We rode, a, I think it was like 65 miles, and we ended up finishing in three days to get to New Orleans, and they loved it. 
and uh, it was a great experience. And did they bike back by themselves after, or did they? No, they, they had. Uh, he had his wife come out and pick them up. It's just a journey. Whatever the journey is, it's worth it. Yeah, it was great. It was like 100, I think it was like 150, 160 miles in three days. That's a lot. And then from uh, from New Orleans, you, I'm assuming you kind of went north, right? Yeah, so I went north. I followed the Mississippi River for the most part, a little off and on a little bit. Um, but I ultimately ended up in uh, lower Michigan around the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And then I went around there to the Dakotas, North Dakota, and then I started hitting south again. Nice. And you are where now? So I'm down in San Antonio, Texas right now. Oh, okay, cool. Hiding out from winter again, right? Trying to, except that uh, I thought it was going to be good because for anybody that knows anything about the United States, Texas, it doesn't really, it's a big state, but for the most part, it doesn't get snow. And uh, it snowed here three weeks ago. And it was like the first time in like 12 years. Mm. So it was kind of shocking to see palm trees and snow, but it was, uh, you know, you get used to it after, it disappeared after a day. Yeah, I have some friends in Houston. I don't know if I remember noticing snow in their Instagram. Actually, I don't know if it snowed over there. It's a little further away from here. Oh, is it? Houston yeah. was a good time too. I was actually, uh, so I've been in Texas since the new year and uh, literally just taking the whole winter to do one state. And that's neat. What has been your favorite part of Texas? San Antonio, actually. This The area that I'm in now, it's got a lot of history uh, from the Spaniards. And mm-hmm. um, it's got a lot of, uh, just a lot of different histories here. And for me, you know, a lot of the country and a lot of this United States, it's a lot of newer stuff. So they say it's uh, a historic site and it's over less than 100 years old or 100 years old. Yeah. And, and being from New England, you know, where everything for the United States kind of started, it's like, man, I've seen stuff that's like four or 500 years old, which isn't that old either, comparably to, you know, even parts of Canada or Europe. Yeah. So to see stuff down here that are the same four or 500 years old is pretty cool to see. That's neat. Uh, I, I really enjoy history and uh, just environments in general. So what I try to do is I get, I emerge myself into a community and, and see how a community operates for me to decide how I like it. And San Antonio has got a great community. So while you're in San Antonio for five weeks, I'm assuming you have all the bags, most of the bags off the bike. Um, do you find it awkward going from like cycling with no bags to all of a sudden, bam, you've got a, you go from like 50 pounds to 175 pounds? So I actually, I ride with my bags on my bike. I might take one or two off. Uh, the bike without my bags on it is like very shaky. It does. <laughs> It, it's it's weird, I know, but it, it rides way better even if I just keep the side bags on. Okay. Um, so I, I can take my book. I don't carry my book bag. And my backpack carrying that thing is between 30 and 60 pounds depending on how much fluid's in it. But like when I don't have that on, I could ride all day if, if I could just get rid of my backpack. Nice. How many miles on average do you cycle in a day? Um, so my average is about 40 to 60 lately in the last couple months, it's a little lower, but, uh, it's still not too bad. It's about 35, 40, but overall my longest day of my journey so far is 130. Wow. And my shortest day is, uh, about 15 miles. What happened in that 15 mile day? I climbed a mountain. Oh, okay, fair enough. 
<laughs> so I did five, I did 15 miles in about five hours. Where was this? Uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway in the Appalachian Mountains uh, down in Virginia. Oh, yeah. They're not, is it that long, huh? It's not even that long, like, height-wise. It, it was only, like, I think it was, like, 3,500 feet of elevation gain, but it just was such a high incline. Mm -hmm. I found out that many people don't actually... I was told out nobody's ever climbed that hill. I don't know how true that actually is, but people definitely didn't notice anybody with a lot of bags ever climbing it. <laughs> and uh, and most people that I talked to were like, dude, nobody climbs that hill, and it's called Lover's Leap. They say they all go down it. It's the downhill. Uh, Which would have been way more fun if I went down that instead of up it. But Yeah, I did... Um once, once upon a time in 2012, I uh, cycled up a mountain in Indonesia and it was, that day had, it was I think 120 kilometers, but 90 kilometers of it was uphill. It was just this long, slow, forever gradual incline up a volcano. Just, yeah, brutal. Yeah, that's nuts. Going down the other side was phenomenal. But yeah. Oh, I bet. You said you've been hit by a car four times. Where where were these and um what was the situation that happened? Was it just ignorant drivers or was it a little bit of everything? Oh, uh, well, I think it, the fact that they didn't stop, it was a hit and run. They're ignorant regardless. Yeah. <laughs> but um unfortunately, I think two of the four were definitely purpose hits. Really? Really? Uh, I was on a shoulder of like four or five feet and they purposely came to the edge of the four or five feet to hit me and then go back into the road. Jesus. Some seriously um, messed up people in your country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately that's everywhere and, uh, and hopefully not as bad. But, you know, like I said, it's only been four times. Mm -hmm. I've been in 37 states. I've only been hit in four of those states. <laughs> Yeah, and you've done a lot of kilometers, a lot of miles, so it's... Um, yeah, so what is it? I gotta remember. Uh, how many... 15,000 or the... I think it's 62 21. miles is 100 kilometers. Um, yeah, and I know 100 miles is 160K-ish. So 15,000 is okay. about... It's about 26,000 kilometers, I think. Oh, man, so I already hit my number. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know... Send a post and say, I meant kilometers. I know. <laughs> I might actually have to do that. Just April 1st is coming up. so That's right. That's right. Have you suffered any injuries throughout this tour? Uh, nothing serious, thankfully. Um, most severe injuries were at the beginning of my journey. Actually, my first hit and run. I injured my shoulder, my hip, and my knee. And then uh, the two weeks after my injury, I got back into riding and it was very cold and I ended up having an asthma attack. Um, ended up in the hospital oh, for wow. not being able to breathe. So thankfully that hasn't happened since, but I ended up pretty much disabled for about three weeks for that. Okay. Otherwise, my other accidents were I got hit, the bike took most of the damage and I got thrown into the grass. Well, lucky for the grass. Yes. You said you use a phone. Do you use any other technology stuff on your your bike? Like uh, bike computers and all those things? Or? No. So uh, when I started this journey, I had a sports camera, my cell phone, and a tablet. I got rid of that tablet because my cell phone does the same thing, and it was just extra weight. 
Um, and I had a GPS for tracking my miles. Oh, okay. Uh, the GPS died, so I ended up. I actually have a Garmin with wristwatch. Mm-hmm. So I, I use that now for my GPS tracking, and um, I use my cell phone for mapping. And that's pretty much my only two technologies that I use now. It, it, it's pretty simple for me. And uh, having the generator, the Dyno Hub, I just charge my batteries up, and the batteries charge the, the things that I need. So yeah, that's nice. I'm thinking about getting one for my bike. Just uh, simplify life. Yeah, it's great unless, depending on the one you get, and uh, if you get into sand or if you get into water, you just need to be careful. But I knock on wood, mine hasn't had any issues. Yeah. Do you camp most often or like I guess when you're on the road or? Yeah, so it's interesting how that's worked out for me. So my first year on tour, I spent a lot more in my tent. Even when I stayed with people, I stayed in my tent. Okay. Not always, but as much as I could. And uh, it ended up kind of transitioning to getting more places to stay and more places that people are willing to help me out with, like a hotel room and stuff like that every once in a while. Oh, nice. But, um, yeah, I think it was like nine uh, hotel rooms on the first year of my journey. And in the second year, I think I've had, like, don't quote me on these numbers. I haven't posted, but I think it was 26. Oh, that's good, though. It gives a good break and just a chance to, like, get a good layout. Yeah, well, that and, you know... So because of all those, because people that have followed my journey or, or know what's cool about this is about networking. And yeah. so I meet people in, in Virginia that's like, hey, when you get towards Wisconsin, let me know. And uh, then they reach out to some friends and family out there and they're like, hey, I got this guy that I hosted. I would love if you hosted him. Though. Well, if you hosted him, we'll host him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it just kind of trickles down. So if I'm not staying with people I already know, it's from people that I've met on this journey or people that I've been introduced to. So it, it works out really well for me now. Um, thankfully, I still have my tent. I still carry it. I, I have no problem sleeping in it, but I've been also thankful that to not have to pull it out every day and yeah. set it up and yeah. unpack it. And you said you've done this tour without having any savings ahead of time. So what do you eat usually? Like what's your, like when you're cooking and um, have there been days where you're like, oh, no food today? Or you've always just kind of been fortunate? Over the course of two years, I've been very fortunate to only not have food for a total of probably about two weeks, and I haven't gone any more than two days in without food, and those two days was when I was heavier, so I had extra fat to burn, so I wasn't <laughs> that worried, um, whereas like this year, this past year, I only went two days total without having any food, and they were two separate, completely off days, and um it hurt me a lot more. So it's definitely to the point where I, I have to keep food with me, uh, even if it's just emergency snack food. And, mm-hmm. uh, but overall, it's unfortunately, I don't, I don't eat, I don't cook food. So I don't carry a lot of cook. I don't carry any cookware with me anymore. Uh, oh, the first no? year I did. Okay. No, I got rid of all, uh, it was just some stuff that I just didn't use enough because I didn't have stuff to cook with to like food wise. Yeah. And most of the time if, if, if somebody's giving me food, it's because they already cooked it or um, they're taking me out to eat. So it, it's just, it was just extra weight that I didn't need. And so I do a lot of convenience store food, unfortunately, and just cheap stuff, stuff that it will uh, suffice and keep Care, me uh, Carefully you don't get fat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as long as, as, long as I keep like cuddling, I, Yeah. Well, so I eat more food than I have ever eaten food. And I used to be 270 pounds. Oh, wow. You're a big guy. Um, I ate a lot of food and now I eat even more, but I weigh about, if I'm 
I'm a 170, 175. Yeah. Um, and, but I got down to 132 on this journey. No way, huh? Yeah, I, and that was at the beginning of my journey when I went a couple of days without eating here and there. So um, I got very skinny and very scared. So I started eating anything and everything people gave me, and I, I ate like it was my last meal almost because I never knew where the next one's coming. Yeah, but yeah. This journey's, especially over time, it's it's become more reliable, and, and there's people that follow my journey very closely and, and make sure to help me out more often now. So You know, I didn't ask you, how old are you, Dan? I'm 30. I'll be 31 uh, April 7th. Okay. Uh, what has been the most challenging part of these past two years? Well, there's been a, it, it, it comes in phases. One of my big challenges was being lonely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was mostly because and any cyclist or any person that you that you ever has ever taken an adventure knows you know you meet new people every day and that's awesome you get to, to have interactions but sometimes you just need that repetitive connection yeah and uh, for a while I wasn't getting that and I was struggling especially my first year in Florida I hadn't seen anybody that I had known in a while or or met I hadn't seen them again and it started to take a toll on me. I was starting to get that, and it was it was tough. And so, thankfully, part of my journey is, you know, I tell people to talk about it, talk about their issues. Before it becomes an issue, bring it up. And uh, so before it even became a real issue for me, I, I made sure to tell everybody, like, guys, you know, I just want to let everybody know this is what I'm struggling with, you know, being alone. You know, as much as I'm not alone, I feel alone. And I just hope that I kind of reconnect with some people that mm-hmm. I've seen throughout this journey. And sure enough, uh, a few people that I had met in Virginia, a couple of people in, that I went to high school with, started crossing my path. And it was just because I put it out there. And it, but that was something that I really struggled with that for a little while. And thankfully, I didn't struggle with it too long mm-hmm. and, I, and dealt with it. But uh, something else that I've been struggling with more recently, especially the last six months, is uh, I don't take a lot of nutrients. Actually, I didn't take any extra nutrients except for as nice as it, I can be is garbage food. You know, it's not the healthy food, yeah, but it's nothing. Yeah. But, you know, so I wasn't taking anything extra, and I, I've really been feeling that toll on my body the last six months. Um, and that's why my numbers have gone down a little bit for averages, because um, I just I'm, I just lack that energy that I need. I lack the, the, the ability to move. So I actually just started some supplements, and uh, it's been really useful for me. And it's really cool because I actually have a sponsorship, and... Uh, what they're doing for me is they're going to supply me the product to keep taking, and anybody that buys the product is supporting my nonprofit. Oh, cool. So 100% of the proceeds that come through me are going to my nonprofit. Oh, that's amazing. What is the name of the company? Um, well, so I'm actually going to leave that off now. Okay. If anybody's interested in more knowing about the product, they can get on and can touch with me uh, directly. Perfect. So that uh, they can go through me. For oh, that. yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, well, I'll put some links to you anyway, so then people can just find you that way. But yeah, that's that sounds awesome. Yeah, so anybody that wants to, they can reach out to me at ridewithdanusa.com um, or through social media, also ridewithdanusa, and then I'll just ask me about nutrients, and we can talk about it and see if it's right for you as well. But yeah. it's, uh, I've been taking it now for just shy of two weeks, and I, I've been riding a little bit while I've been here in San Antonio. I learned my lesson from Alabama. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, I've already seen huge improvements. My a lot of my issues that I was dealing with, I thought was um, not stretching enough, even though that is an issue I have. But a lot of it was inflammation, so I was a lot tighter than I should have been. I didn't have the energy, and 
now I have more energy than I need, really. And it's only thing I've changed is taking the supplements and, nutri- and actually getting nutrients that are going to help me. So um, it's huge to have that. And that was something that's uh, been a struggle for me. And, and it's cool because I'm helping myself and I can help other people while also uh, hoping to help my mm-hmm. nonprofit. Yeah, that's really good. Are there any other challenges that have popped up, I guess? You know, there's always challenges, but I try not to focus on those too mm-hmm. much, I guess. But another issue that I've had is because of the fact that I carry so much gear, a lot of people just look at me as a homeless guy. So I get I get, I get, get questioned a lot. I, I want to like to say harassed because that's a horrible word to say. It's a strong but, word, yeah. You know, I get questioned a lot because of the fact that part of my journey, I'm growing my hair and my beard. If, if anybody's ever seen Forrest Gump, um, I think they Lieutenant Dan for a reason. It works out even better because I'm doing this journey, so it, it's mm-hmm. it's ironic for me. But um, so they see a guy with a bunch of hair and a bunch of gear that's got duct tape and you know reflective tape on it to to fix the holes that from getting in accidents and stuff, and they just think I'm a drifter. So uh, thankfully, I carry business cards with me, and that usually helps me out. Yeah. But I've had people really try to put me down for my appearance. And uh, that's been a challenge at times, but definitely don't let that affect me too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that first impression thing, right? You know, it's it's not wrong when people say that those first few seconds make all the impression. But I guess when people see a guy on a bike with 175 pounds of stuff and, and then uh, a long beard, long hair, it's easy to make a judgment without really knowing the whole story. Yeah, exactly. And it's crazy because I have been judged by people and, and I actually... I look forward to those people because if they even take two minutes to have a conversation with me, they'll completely have a different outlook on me. Yeah. And, and a lot of times that's actually happened. And not that I look forward to changing people's perspectives, but it really makes them realize that they shouldn't be so quick to judge. Yeah. Yeah. Any other amazing things that have come up on this tour that have just blown you away? So I don't know if I've actually said this yet or not, but the least expected places that I uh, have gone that I didn't plan on like spending time in like Arkansas mm-hmm. for me it was a state that I was just passing through real quick and little that I know that's actually my favorite state of my 37 so far oh yeah uh, I love it I, I look forward to uh, if I don't find a better state that I enjoy I look forward to hopefully calling that a home base one day really is that good huh I I really love it it is my favorite state so far from the natural beauty, it's like deserty in the south to mountainousy green in the north, to the, like the really generosity of people in that in the communities that I was interacting with. You know, there's a lot of large corporations, so it's great to start a nonprofit there. They have a huge biking system, um, so a lot of different things that I kind of base a lot of my stuff on. But it, it overall was it was just amazing, and it's really an awesome centrally located place to see the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Utah. I know. I'm really excited for Utah as well. It's one of the places that I am looking forward to. But like I said, it's crazy because the places that I've looked forward to so far were okay. They're not, I'm not going to say they were bad, but it's the places that I least expected it that have been amazing. Yeah. Um, like I went to Winemere, North Dakota, and it wasn't even on my radar. I had never planned on going there. Uh, two towns before I got there, I was invited to come join their parade for uh, Veterans Day, I think it was. And um, no, no, not Veterans Day. It was the fall, fall festival, and they wanted me to ride with the veterans on my bicycle. And 
So I was like, you know what? I got invited. I might as well go. And yeah. I had an amazing time with amazing people. I got to speak to a lot of students. I still keep in touch with that family. I spoke to them the other day. The, the father of the family is actually joining my nonprofit. So uh, as a board member. Wow. So, you know, Nice. It, it, it's crazy where, and same thing with Mobile, Alabama. That was, I planned on going through that town in two days and never batting my eye back at it. And in um, both of those places that I, were just some of the, my greatest memories that I've had so far on this journey. And I've had a lot, and that, yeah, that those are like the only ones. But, you know, those are two that really pop out to me. And again, the least expected places have been my most memorable. Mm hmm. How has this tour helped you grow, like in terms of uh, maybe mentally, spiritually, physically? It's done all of those things because, uh, one, I I found faith on this. Spiritually, found myself and found faith on this journey. I never mm -hmm. had that officially before. So that it continues to grow. It continues to get stronger every day, every pedal that I make. My physical and my mental health is in the best state of my entire life. Even when I was in the military, I, I wasn't as good physically fit as I am probably now. And that is because of this journey for every pedal that I go. And, you know, my mental health, I've never been more focused on myself, but also being able to focus on other people than ever before as well. Mm -hmm. um, I've, always been a, I've always been a person that wants to help people, but I always put myself on the back burner and I still have to be on the front burner. I yeah. still have to be right, right next to the, if I don't have to be the, put everybody else to the back burner but usually there's two front burners so i can share those front burners and just kind of balance it out and but i still take time for me i still take that time to focus on healing myself and that's what this journey is about for me but at the same time it's also to share that and so i'm always developing my story i'm always learning how to portray it better so people can connect to it more and and that's what's great about this was every day is a new day and every day is an upgrade mm -hmm. of yesterday so have you thought at all about writing a book or making a documentary about this uh so i'm definitely not a writer but as i said earlier i, I told myself i wasn't a public speaker i wasn't gonna own a nonprofit, and i wasn't gonna ride a bicycle and i'm doing all three of those so i'm not that i'm a bad writer but i'm not a very good writer that's what they have editors for yeah Yes, yeah, so I'm ultimately hoping that I can tell my story to somebody and they can document it for me. So uh, at some point, I'm hoping to have a, this documented and you never know where it could go. Anything else you want to share with us? I I, am, I can't think of anything else that we haven't talked about that I... Well, I guess if uh, for anybody that's listening to this, you know, it's uh, it's important that if you're struggling to be able to talk to people about those problems that you're dealing with or those situations, they aren't always problems. Um, but whatever things that you're dealing with, be willing to be able to talk about it. Um, it doesn't make you uh, weak or vulnerable. It, it takes you a lot of strength to be able to do that. So consider yourself one of the strongest people you'll know because you're able to do that. So um, also, if you know people out there that are struggling, be willing to listen, be willing to ask how they're doing, and be willing to really hear their answers. You know, a lot of times we'll ask someone how they're doing, and, and they'll just say okay, and, like, and that's how we leave it. But if you ask them again, no, really, how you're doing, you'll probably get a totally different answer. Mm -hmm. So be willing to do that every once in a while. And you don't have to do it for everybody, but if, if we did that for two people or three people, for every person, we would be combating this situation, the stigma of suicide throughout the country and throughout the world. So That's a really good point, because I think North Americans especially, like when we say, how are you, how are you doing? It's 
I'm good. Like, you're not expected to answer honestly. You're expected to just give the answer that society demands. Yeah, and and that's uh, and I know that's definitely more of an American thing, unfortunately. Canadians too. Yeah, Canadians as well. I know when I was overseas on tours, when they ask you a question, they really want to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it's a uh, uh, it's a North American thing. We'll leave it at that. Is it's simply saying hi. And uh, we need to get out of saying, how are you, unless you really mean it. Dan, where can people go to find out more about you or to support OPAD? Yeah, so they can check out uh, the journey itself at ridewithdanusa.com. Um, and on social media, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as Ride With Dan USA. Mm-hmm. Um, for the nonprofit, they can go to OPAT, O-P-A-A-T, movement.com. And then you can also find us on Instagram at O-P-A-A-T-M and also on Facebook at OPAT Movement. Excellent. And um, I will definitely, as I mentioned, post links to all that on the website. And I really appreciated all the time you made me uh, made for me tonight. And um, I look forward to seeing the continuation of your journey and just to keep following your adventures and, and um, keep making a difference, keep being that guy out there. Yeah, that's that's all about Chris. I thank you very much for having me on here tonight. And uh, again, it's it's one pedal at a time, everyone. It's one breath, one out, whatever, whatever, whatever you got to replace pedal with, replace it, and uh, and know that you have a purpose, even if you don't know it today. Excellent. I just want to thank Dan once again for taking the time to record this episode with me. I think it's his journey and his mission and goal really is saving lives. So I think it's phenomenal. And one correction I need to make is a couple times I referred to OPAT as OPAD. I don't know where I got the D from. In my mind, I was saying OPAT, but I only noticed it when I was listening to the the recording afterwards. So I do apologize. It is OPAT, O-P-A-A-T, one pedal at a time. So there you have it. Um, Secondly, Dan did ask me to reach out and to mention at the end that if anybody is interested in volunteering and helping out with a bit of web development in terms of their website, he is seeking help. And if you are interested and capable of donating a little bit of your time, reach out to Dan. At the bottom of the podcast, there'll be a link that takes you to the episode on my website. And from there, you can find all his contact details. So do reach out if you are able to help. In the next episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I'm going to be speaking with Ben Davies. He's a young Brit that progressed from being a traditional bike tour to getting involved in ultra distance racing, setting some amazing accomplishments on on races such as the transcontinental race in Europe and the race across Poland. Uh, More recently, Ben is preparing for an epic fast tour from Cairo to Cape Town. So check that out in the next episode, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you like what you're hearing on the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe through whatever app you're using. It helps me just keep track and understand uh, where my listener base is, and maybe that helps me tailor it. As well, I really appreciate feedback, whether positive or constructive. Either way, everything is good. It helps me know what kind of things you want me to focus on, what I can do differently to help improve your listening experience. And also uh, positive words just make everybody feel a lot better about what's going on. So always much appreciated. And you can do that through www.biketouradventures.com through the contacts form. Or you can just email me directly at info at biketouradventures.com. I really appreciate it. So take care and keep on pedaling.
Bye bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.